looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Oh man, I love that new intro. The guy just ripping away on the guitar, it's good. But anyways, welcome back guys. Today's guest is Hayden Crabtree, who's the author of Skip the Flip. Hayden is full of knowledge. I mean, the book alone was really good. I really enjoyed it. He broke down some really elementary stuff, but got a little bit more in depth of uh, how value add works for him and his business. Hayden's going to talk a little bit about, more about that. He also does a lot of self-storage, so he'll be chatting with us about that. You guys, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a review. It definitely helps us get more listeners and get higher up on pages when people search for real estate podcasts. Please visit our website at victorycapgroup.com. If you guys have questions for me, you want to reach out, or even looking to be a guest on the show, email me at dante at victorycapgroup.com. Hope everyone's doing well, and I look forward to chatting with all you. Enjoy the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. Today's guest is my buddy Hayden Crabtree. He's coming on the show today to talk about his awesome book. And if you don't have it, I suggest you pick it up called Skip the Flip Secrets the 1% Know About Real Estate Investing. And let me tell you, I, I sped through this book pretty quick, as quick as I could with my free time. And it's pretty impressive. It's not terribly big, it's about uh, just about 200 pages, but it really breaks down a lot of things in that book for you. Uh, residential versus commercial, adding value, all that good stuff. But you're not here to listen to me talk. We're here to ha- uh, have uh, Hayden talk. So Hayden, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, my man? Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I think we're going to get into a lot of a lot of good stuff today. We got a lot to talk about. We can talk about books. We can talk about current markets. We can talk about residential, commercial, storage units, you know, housing, residential. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to see where this takes us and provide as much value to your listeners as we can. Yeah, of course. I I agree. So let's hear about your story first, and then let's dive into the book a little bit. So how'd you get started? You know, where are you at a few years back versus where you are today, all that good stuff? Yeah, no doubt. So I'll turn 24 on July 1st of 2020, coming up soon. I'm 23 right now. I've been at this uh, investing game for about f- coming up on five years uh, in August, and it really all started for me um, back in college, I knew going into college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, I, uh, I found myself taking finance route, didn't really know where it wanted to take me. I didn't want to go get a desk job. Um, one day in college, the, the, uh, when I was in a course at the beginning, I had a guy walk around and introduce himself to the class and said he had this opportunity, uh, an internship opportunity where he was, essentially introducing students into a program of how they can learn to run their own business. And to me, this sounded great because I'd always wanted to run my own business, but I didn't come from an entrepreneur family. I didn't, I'd never read any entrepreneurship books. I'd never ran a business before all this thing. So it kind of thought to me like, Hey, this is a, this is a great, maybe a great way for me to get started while I'm in college and figure out how can I avoid going and working for somebody else nine to five when I do graduate college. Uh, you know, and so I, long story short, I got that internship after a couple of interviews. Uh, they didn't tell you what you're going to do, be doing through the through the interviews. They just told you like, 
hey, you know, uh, you guys are going to learn to run your own business. They never told you what kind of business, you know, they just pitched like all the benefits of learning the fundamentals of business. So I got the internship fast forward, you know, a couple months and they're like, hey, by the way, the business you're going to be running is an exterior house painting business in your hometown. So I'm like, come on, man. Like, I don't want to go back to my hometown in college <laughs> summers, painting people's houses. You know, I'm from Georgia and it gets hot here in the summer. So absolutely not what I wanted to do, but I stuck with it. And a really interesting thing happened to me uh, through that summer whenever I was running that business. One was just the amount of skills that I learned. But two, I really got introduced to, to learning through books and picking up books and reading them. Um, but I also had a, you know, a very impactful uh, meeting with a person. Typically, whenever you're going to paint somebody's house, you say, hey, when can you meet? And they're like, well, you know, I get off work at five, I need to pick up dinner can you meet me at my house at 6 30 so a lot of people would want to meet you after work but this one person whose house i was gonna you know try and give him a quote to paint for him uh for my business he said i can meet you out there whenever and i was like huh that's interesting he can meet out whenever so i go out to this house you know he said it's like three o'clock on a wednesday something like that guy pulls up it's not the nicest house in the world but it's an okay house you know it's an older house he pulls up in this nice truck and i'm like hey you know do you live here and he said no this is one of my rental properties and that's when it first kind of like clicked in my head like mm. huh rental properties like that's interesting this guy obviously has money he has freedom i should yeah, look more into this you whenever you know you know what meet me whenever nice truck so um you know that really got my gears kind of ticking and that's what kind of picked my interest and then uh probably a couple weeks after that one of my mentors in the program said hey you should read this purple book called rich dad poor dad and i think so many people's journey starts like that and i tore through rich dad poor dad like so instantly um as soon as I got done reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, I just, my brain just goes, I got to learn about real estate, you know? So I, I went to Google, type in real estate investing, and it probably will happen today too. If you go type that in, I think Bigger Pockets is probably one of the, the first places to come up. So yep. I had no idea what Bigger Pockets was. I just clicked on it, started going to their forums, looking at people talking, just trying to consume information. And they have a search feature in there. And I searched for my, my college town, which was Athens, Georgia. And this is, you know, I did a little research in between this. I searched for my college town, Athens, Georgia. And uh, I saw this forum and this guy talking about how he had uh, wholesaled eight duplexes, bought them back, uh, rehab them, refinanced them in the process. He had made like so much money to me at that time. It was just like incredible. I was like, what language is this guy speaking and how do right, I right. become fluent in this language? You know? Uh, so that led me, I called the guy up, found his business, called the guy up and said, Hey, uh, I'd love to take you out to coffee. I'd love to learn more about real estate investing. He said, I don't drink coffee, but you can meet me at my property in 15 minutes. I'm doing some work. So I said, all right, you know, and I got in my car and I head over and I met him. Um, and pretty much that meeting, I just said, look, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm a college student. I have plenty of free time and I've got motivation to make something happen. You know, the clock is ticking towards graduation and I don't want to go get a job for somebody else when I graduate. So he said, I said, yeah, I'll work for you for free. He said, show up at my house tomorrow. Here's my address. So long story short, I ended up working for my mentor for free for over a year. And through that process, it was really awesome because he was doing wholesales, flips, single family rentals, and then 1031 and into multifamily and commercial. So from oh, okay. day one of my real estate experience, I got to see literally everything. You know yeah, what I mean? And that makes, my, that makes my experience really unique because 
A lot of people will dabble here. Then they'll hear about this and they'll go dabble over here. And it was very powerful for me to see everything at once because then I had the ability to know and see firsthand, okay, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to niche down and what I want to focus on. So that's a little bit how I got started today. Uh, and, you know, through that process, we learned about self-storage facilities, love self-storage facilities. Um, and that's my main focus as of right now is buying large self-storage facilities. Okay. So real quick again, before we get into the book, what is your current portfolio? What are your current investments kind of look like if you're willing to share a little bit of that? Yeah, for sure. So with partners, uh, you know, borrowing people's balance sheets and equity and everything, we have about a half a million commercial square feet in five different states on the self-storage facility, uh, doing about a hundred thousand square foot development project in Southwest Florida right now. Uh, and then, you know, just some houses, some rentals littered in here and there. That's great. So uh, you got a pretty sizable portfolio right there, especially for your age, your young guy like me. So I, I think that's yeah. pretty impressive. Now, the book, Skip the Flip. Yeah. What made you want to write this? Where did you know, where, where'd you get the idea from? <clears throat> so, you know, uh, it's born out of out of necessity, out of need. When you see an opportunity, then you look as entrepreneurs to fill that opportunity. And I'm sure just like you, man, is that I had friends and more recently after, you know, I've, I've had some success and you can say, you know, uh, you know, look at what I've done or, or whatever. And you, that's what you do full time when you graduate college and you just say, Hey, I'm going to work for myself. You don't like necessarily get a job. Then a lot of people come to you and say, Hey man, tell me about what you're doing. You know, I've heard of this real estate thing and I know you can make a killing in real estate. And you know, I was watching HGTV the other day and they were flipping this house and I want to get into real estate investing. I think I'm gonna flip a house. Will you help me? And that's where the name came from. Cause I, I always tell people you need to skip the flip, you know, because as you learn and educate yourself more and more, you realize that flipping is in no way, shape or form investing. You know what I mean? Right. There's so really, many, it's not passive. It's a job. <laughs> It's a job as well. And it's a job with a lot of risk. You don't get any of the tax benefits. There's so many things that are, are, are different about true investing and about house flipping. And that's what just, you know, made me want to write the book because I was having that conversation multiple times a week. I love to help people out. And essentially at one point I said to myself, like I would spend less time if I just sat down and wrote this book and gave it away for free. If I sat down with people for lunch and helped them forever. When I, when I read through my books, I underline, I highlight all like the important stuff and like you come right out of the gate mm -hmm. with like some great stuff. I'm just going to pull some stuff from the book so we can discuss um, the, the main fundamental to follow to avoid pain in a recession is to buy real estate for cash flow rather than to flip it for a one-time profit. And that's so true. I mean, mm -hmm. when people are looking at properties, I don't think they should be looking to flip it or looking for appreciation. Uh, that's just icing on the cherry kind of thing. So what you're saying here is invest for cash flow cash is king, you know, cash flow is number one, that's what's going to keep you afloat in your business. Um, and that's, that's again, right out of the, out of the gate there. It's great. And you, you say flipping houses and not investing, it is not how wealth is created in real estate. It's true. I mean, how many of these big, you know, millionaires or these large real estate investors can say, Oh, yeah, all I do is flip houses. There's a few out there, and they've got some great systems, but, they, but they're entrepreneurs, not investors, you know, they're right. business owners. I mean, we'll, we'll just use one example, everyone knows Donald Trump big real estate investor. How many houses do you think he's flipped? You know, mm. he, he's probably not flipped any. Um, and flipping houses, you say here is an active job and it's not bad if you're looking for a job or some side hustle, but it, it shouldn't be your main go-to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I tell and, people, you know, I'm not against house flipping. I just, I want to call it what it is. You know, I don't want people to be misled into thinking that 
the people who are making insane amounts of money, unfathomable amounts of money with all the benefits, they're not the people out there, you know, changing out old, old laminate for hardwoods and stuff like that. It's not how it works. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, something else you, you know, you took from rich dad, poor dad, where we all learn this and some people might not know it, you know, assets, put money in your pocket, liabilities, basically mm-hmm. take money out of your pocket. Um, and again, that's a really powerful concept. And I think anytime anyone reads rich dad, poor dad, it's just like, you know, the light bulb goes yeah. on and you're like, I never even thought about that. Um, so again, to those listening, go check out the book. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal book. I really enjoyed it. And you, you break down the necessities in the beginning. And as we get towards the back, you start talking about adding value, NOI, and increasing the property's value. So let's touch a little bit on that and relate it a little bit to what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, yeah, I would love for people to go get the book. If you want a physical copy, you can pick it up on Amazon, just type in skip to flip or Hayden Crabtree. But you know, if you don't want to pay 10 bucks for the physical, again, I wrote this book to help people. I didn't write the book to make money. The book has cost me a lot of money, which is fine because I love helping people. But um, I give away audio copies or PDF copies. Just go to HaydenCrabtree.com forward slash free book and you guys can grab it for free. But uh, you know, and it will take you full through the full gamut of like, how do I, you know, the different positions in real estate, how do I make money in real estate all the way to what I do, which is commercial investing and adding value to properties through increasing the income and the NOI and how that relates to what I'm doing today. I mean, you know, people in apartments is probably the most popular type of commercial investment people think, think about is big apartment complexes. And, you know, in that sense, you can add value through, uh, you know, increasing rental rates year over year, trying to cut your expenses. But what I found in the storage unit business that I love so much is that the tenants that we have are on all month to month leases. So whenever you get an apartment complex, if you go in and buy an apartment complex, you're going to have to wait until all those leases expire until you can increase the income. So you might be waiting anywhere from, you know, six to 14 months, you know, to actually wait for those current tenants leases to expire where you can get in there, do the rehab, increase the income, raise the rental rates, so on and so forth. But in storage unit investing, you know, what's so great about it is that all the ways to add value are exterior features in terms of security, in terms of, uh, you know, adding technology to your business, in terms of paint jobs and increasing the visual appearance of your buildings versus on apartments, it's almost all interior, whereas you're replacing countertops, things like that. So what's really unique and different about uh, storage investing is, is compared to uh, apartments is that we can go in, we can add all the value to a facility within 30 to 60 days, whereas the turn on an apartment complex might take a year to two years. You know what I mean? Because if someone's on a self-storage lease, then their lease is month to month. I can raise your rent every single month for as long as I want. There's no rent control anywhere in the country on self-storage. I can raise your rent as much as I want. And another thing to think about is if you're paying 50 bucks for a self-storage unit, you've got you know a bunch of stuff in and you don't want to even think about it. And I raise your rate, call it 10%. If I raise your rate 10%, that's only five bucks. Are you going to go get a U-Haul truck, clean out your unit and move all your stuff down the street for five bucks a month? Right. Absolutely not. But if I do that to 500 tenants, it's very powerful versus if I try to raise my rent 10% in an apartment. Well, yeah, let's just stop right there. 10%. Yeah. 10% yeah. added to your NOI. I mean, how much is that going to increase your property's value alone? I mean, depending on the market, uh, you know, significant amount. Significant. Right, depending on the cap rate and what things are going yeah. for. But 10%, just such a small amount, like you said, $50 for a unit, 10% of that, $5 more per month. No one's mm-hmm. going to go spend $40 to go get a U-Haul and go down the street for $49.99 a month. 
And if you're doing that across all those units, I mean, 500 times five, you do the math. It's 30 grand a year. Right. I mean, you're you're adding a lot of uh, monthly revenue, yearly revenue, the NOI, there's so many benefits to that. And we can get into that a little bit later about how important adding NOI is to the bottom line Mm -hmm. there. But yeah, please continue. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just one, you know, one benefit in terms of like, if you're raised someone who's paying $2,000 a month for an apartment and you raise them 10%, they might move out over 200 bucks a month, $2,400 a year versus who's going to move out and rent a truck for five bucks a month. You know what I mean? Not many people are going to do that. I mean, you'll have some price sensitivity, but uh, so that's one really powerful thing about storage is how quickly you can do those turns. It's all exterior, all month to month leases. And then you can just come in and do simple things like a lot of, uh, you know, there's 60,000 self storage facilities in America. And I think the number today is between 20 and 25% of them are owned by big companies. The rest of the market is owned by one off mom and pops who don't have websites, who don't do Google ads, who haven't raised their rates in 10 years, who don't use software. So you can add so much value just by bringing in, you know, and standardizing the processes of everything, bringing in a website, putting a good advertising in place, you know, running it like a business, implementing late fees, implementing, you know, there's so much you can yeah, really do. security, you know, just stuff to get people in there. So you can add, you know, late fees. Another great one that most people aren't currently aware of is a tenant insurance plan. So just like renter's insurance is you can go in immediately. And from day one, if you want to sell tenant insurance, when you buy a property to call it 400 tenants, you can profit anywhere from five to $8 a month off of one individual tenant by offering them, you know, an ancillary service. So just by going in and implementing these things, it's not rocket science. It's just, you know, offering your tenants really good service, upgrading the facility. And, you know, people are willing to pay more for that and getting new customers in the door who want to pay market rates. So, you know, it's immediate bump to the NOI. I really like it because it's not this long drawn out process, you know, you're talking about the difference between year one and year two, you're going to have significantly different properties, significantly different cash flows, significantly different values. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's why I'm a big fan of self storage. Doesn't mean I wouldn't do anything else. I just, I, you know, I've kind of dove really deep into that asset class over the last, uh, three years now. And that's just what I love. And how did you stumble upon self storage? So like I said, you know, whenever we first started, when I first started with my mentor, we were doing everything. We're doing wholesales, house flips, single family rentals, and trying to 1031 up. And through that process, you know, we're doing direct mail to try and find leads. And we just sent it out residential mailer. Guy says, Hey, I don't want to sell you guys my house, but I got this self storage facility. I hadn't paid any attention to in three or four years. We said, Hey, you know, we don't know anything about something like, haven't even listened to a podcast on self-storage investing at this point, but you know, it's, it's the same. It's income expenses, NOI value. So we say, Hey, you know, we'll go for it. And that's just kind of how it dove in. We got into it. We're like, Holy cow, this is amazing. You know, when our first tenant moved out, we had the next tenant in there within like, you know, a day. We're like, Holy cow, we didn't have to do any turns. We just swept the thing out and let someone else move in. You know? Well, that's it. It's, it's just a broom sweep, yeah. sweep for a turnover versus painting some walls or maybe changing out some fixtures some countertops in a unit. I mean, you, you yeah. said it, the turnover time versus a storage unit is 10 minutes to sweeping it out versus 10, 10 to maybe 30 days to renovate a unit. And how many units was that self-storage facility you guys first? That first one was small. Yeah. It was six, 65 units. Yeah. So that was a, that's a small facility, but well, it's still you know, a great it's, learning and starting point for you yeah. guys, I'm sure, instead of an overwhelming 500 units. Exactly. And 
for these larger self storages that you're doing, are you syndicating any of them? Or are you guys just going in with general partnerships? How does that look? Yeah, so that's a great question. I mean, obviously, whenever I, I think when I started and called a guy, I had like $2,000 in my bank account. So, you know, didn't come from a ton of money in any way, shape or form, and really didn't even know what real estate syndication was, you know what I mean? Through the process of, of adding so much value, I don't think I said this earlier, but I worked for him for free for about a year until one day, there was no set timeline on our arrangement. He just one day he's like, man, you've added so much value here that I just got to make you a partner. You know what I mean? Let's figure out how wow, to get you in. That's on powerful. Yeah. And um, but that comes from like extreme amounts of doing whatever it takes. You know, I would literally do whatever it takes and just finding ways to add value. So, you know, that goes to such extreme levels that someone's willing to say, I'm willing to cut you in on deals and give you equity for free. So for me, it first started off with, you know, trading time for money. I was trading essentially deals and value for equity and real properties. And that's how I got started. Um, but you know, it's, it's transformed into even going beyond, you know, per se his and then reaching out to others, raising capital and, um, doing that sort of, sort of venture. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's phenomenal. I think self storage has really taken a mainstream hit, so to speak. I feel like everyone in the investing realm, they really see, the numbers on it, they see that you can have 500 tenants in one toilet and that's the management mm -hmm. office and you don't really have to deal with them. And it's a lot of it's on auto pay I hear now and you don't have as many employees. So that's pretty cool. And so you have the self storage. Do you have any apartment buildings? You say you have some small rentals. What else do you have that you're involved in? Um, I got a book business. I mean, other than that, we're just, I'm, I'm pretty one track minded in terms of, in terms of self storage. And, you know, a lot of people ask, Hey, why don't you, you know, you're crushing it. Why don't you do apartments? Why don't you do it? It's like, listen, there's 60,000 self storage facilities in America. I got a lot of work in front of me to do just on those. Right. So I, you know, I'm very much so like in the beginning of my journey, I tried to jump from this to this, to this, to this. And I realized like I was making no progress in anything because I was just trying to learn everything and that didn't work. So whenever I kind of found something that I liked in terms of self storage, I was just like, I'm going to go for this for, you know, until something significant changes in my life. So very one track minded. Yeah. And, and what, what's the path look like for you guys now? Are you, are you marketing to mom and pop ownerships? Are you sending direct market mail? Um, are you, you signing up for certain campaigns? What does it look like for you that you guys are going out to grab, you know, qualified leads? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of our deals were coming through direct mail, even to self storage owners. Um, recently we've been doing a development project, which I mentioned earlier, and that's taken a lot of time and it, it's kind of slowed down our acquisitions train a little bit just because one, we wanted to focus, we internally manage all our stuff. We wanted to sharpen our saw in terms of management, get all our systems set up. We actually transitioned to an, an unmanned facility model, which means traditionally you pay somebody to sit up in the front office, wait for the phone to ring, wait for somebody to come in. And right. you know, we were across five different States 13 facilities, you're paying 13 people and you're like, what am I paying these people for? You know what I mean? Got to be 80% of their time is sent on, spent on Netflix or Facebook, you know what I mean? Just right. like doing whatever they want. So we transitioned to a model where there's nobody sitting up front. Everything's ran through a call center, all electronic payments and everything gets systemized. You know what I mean? From access to move-ins to overlocks to everything gets systemized and automated with as little human contact as possible. And that's actually served us really well through COVID because we were kind of like ready for the no human move in experience. Whereas a lot of yep. other people had to figure that out. Uh, but we transitioned that, you know, 
middle of uh, 2019. So just trying to figure out that management process. There's a lot that goes into systemizing all that, especially in five different states. You know what I mean? So um, we kind of slowed down on the acquisitions because we were buying about one a month for about a year. And we looked down, we had this, you know, sizable portfolio and then we tried to transition our management. So we tapped the brakes on that and we're still doing the development project. But, um, it, you know, if we want to fire up the, the marketing machine, just, start sending out direct mail, you know, and then, and then I love cold calls. You know, if you call somebody and the uh, owner answers the phone, that's a great lead. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, you get right in front of them very easily and it costs you yeah. nothing but time. Yeah. How are you, uh, all these acquisitions that you guys are knocking down, how are you funding those? Yeah. Again, so just like going back to my partner, I mean, he had a big balance sheet. So he, you know, and he, he'd come into a lot of single families and, you know, come out with a hundred to 150 K and, in gained equity in a 1031 and you know a lot of the equity had come from him but you know like i said we're buying one a month we're starting to outpace uh his wallet so we started looking to friends and family and business associates to to raise capital from them okay and when you were raising this capital was it in a syndication style was it on promissory note was it a joint venture i mean how did it look We've done a couple different things, you know, I mean, kind of depending on what the investor wants, whether they want a fixed return, whether they want a piece of the upside, it's really just specific, you know, we don't have a standard format we follow, we just try to pick out what's going to work for everybody, what works with the deal. I don't think that, I think people want to say, like, what's the ultimate capital raising formula, you know, how much should I offer my investor? And it's just so variable, you know, every single deal in the world is different. And along with that, every single investor's goals are different. I don't want to offer, you know, Sally uh, an equity position if she wants security, you know, and I don't want to offer Joe a fixed return if he's in it, you know, if he's a gambler and he wants the the up in it, then I've got to, I got to take into consideration what they want, their personalities and how is that deal going to play into it, you know, as well as just the whole capital stack in general. Yeah. So a lot of people listening on this, obviously they do small multifamilies apartments. They don't have too much knowledge and self storage, but kind of lay it out for us. So let's say you do this direct marketing campaign. Sure. You, you, you finally get a hold of a seller. They're like, yeah, I'm willing. You want to come look at it. What's the next step? You go and look at it. When you're there, what are you looking for? I'm looking to, first of all, build a relationship with the person that owns that property. I mean, I've gotten some crazy good deals just because people like me, you know what I mean? And that's so powerful. Uh, If you can get direct, and I'm sure you know this, if you can get direct to seller and build a relationship with them, you open up the the doors like that's that's the keys to the kingdom because you can start negotiating like well how about we do this you know or how about you hold a note back or whatever so uh you know first is i want to build trust with that person as much trust as possible a relationship i want them to become my friend you know whenever that happens boom it's a sales job you know what i mean it's not a it's oh, yeah. not a person it's, it's job. selling it's a yourself <laughs> It's selling yourself a hundred percent. But you know, other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm a big numbers guy. Um, I love Excel spreadsheets beyond all means. And uh, you know, just gather information about the property. What is the income? Uh, start checking out the market, the competitors, what are the demographics? What's the potential for this property? You know, and then just the expense stack to, to kind of formulate, you know, what's it worth now? What could it be worth? Where can I offer? Okay. Yeah, that's good. And once you do get these properties under contract or once you're actually closing on them, what are you going in? I know we kind of touched on a little bit, but a little more yeah. in depth. What are you going in to add value or, or what, do you, what is the first thing you're looking to do with these properties? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. I mean, property by property, um, I'd say number one. Yeah. Number one, I mean, I, I want to get, you know, website up. I want to gain visibility. I want to become omnipresent in the market. I want people when they search for self storage, I want, 
I want to be the first person they think of. And then, you know, to start to, then we want to get it a paint job. We want to make it look nice. We want to make it appealing for people to come in. So just immediately start implementing those technology benefits. And then, you know, um, I think that that's probably even more powerful than the physical aspects of security, gate, fence, all those things. But, um, you know, as soon as possible. And again, like I said, you can probably get the whole place turned around to brand new look and depending on where your contractors are and their, you know, and their workflow is you probably make it happen in a month to two. So just get right to it, you know, and a lot of that, you know, you can do a lot of that work even up front while you're in contract with it. Cause a lot of these contracts are, you know, 60 to 90 days contract to right. close. So a lot of that can be done up front. I mean, I love when as much as possible to get control of the property and say, Hey, you know, Hey, will you let me take over operations during this? And I'll give you all the money. And, you know, just to start getting onto our books, getting in onto our software, start onloading all of it. Cause it's a lot more like a business than it is a piece of real estate. You know what I mean? We've got, right. You're buying a functioning business or, or somewhat functioning. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And when you, when you go into these properties and you go under contract, do you have a due diligence period of inspecting the physical property and looking at their actual files? I know that a lot of people are doing that with apartment buildings. Does that work as the same for self-storage? Yeah, it's the same. I mean, we have a list of, of all the stuff we want. Um, and the way I like to write my contracts, which is a great tip, is that, uh, you know, my due diligence period doesn't begin until you deliver all the all the items right. on Schedule A. So, you know, if you if I need all these items, if you don't get them to me and I got my earnest money, then we're just dragging out the contract. So Yeah, because, I mean, if you have a 15-day inspection and they get it to you on the 13th day, that gives you only two days to, you know, to look over exactly. before your earnest money goes hard. And uh, something else someone does is they do a physical inspection. I think they said like 20 business days. So then business it also days. gives them uh, two to three additional days because they're weekends. So I thought that was pretty clever as well. Yeah. Um, for those larger buildings that they really need that. Right, time right, for. right. Yeah. When, so you, you said you guys have properties in multiple states. So I'm, mm -hmm. you're pretty spread out. How do you select those states? How do you select those markets that you really want to break into? At first, randomly, <laughs> oh, really? I mean, you know, just who, who would respond to mail at first, you know, and um, that was kind of, I don't want to say it's a hard lesson to learn, but uh, you know, I pay a lot more attention these days to demographics of a market I'm investing in than I did at the beginning of my journey. And I think that that's probably one of the most powerful tips I could give someone who's new is know your demographics, know your market. And that's not something I was great at at the beginning, but I've definitely gotten better. So I'd be a lot more selective now, you know? Yeah. And in the market I'm in, I'm on central New York, Syracuse, New York, everywhere I turn, I see a self-storage facility and that's the truth. Yeah. And when you start seeing them saying like, Oh, first month free, first two months, 50% yeah. off, stuff like that. That's when you know you have a saturation issue, you know, supply versus right. demand. They can't get these units rented. They can't get these, you know, surge units rented. With that said for you guys, has that been an issue you've ran into is getting that occupancy rate up? What do your occupancies look like across your portfolio? I know I'm sure it's different per market, but what are you seeing on some of your properties? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head that whenever you see those promotions of first month free, first two months free, that's a saturation issue. Uh, and you know, we've ran into that for sure. And that's kind of what I'm referencing prior is that whenever you go into those markets that are oversaturated, you're going to have a lot more difficult time. Your rates are going to have to soften and you're going to have to give away promotions, free rent, stuff like that. So our properties you know, market by market range anywhere from 95 plus percent all year round where, you know, certain times of the year and cause storage is a cyclical business. Uh, 
certain times of the year, you're hundred percent full, you know what I mean? And then yeah, some other properties, we bought one property that was, you know, 10% occupancy and it's now at 40 and it's just hard to push it anymore past 40 because of the market it's in. Luckily, wow. you know, we bought it right, but um, it, they can range anywhere. You know what I mean? Just because if you find a property that's at 10% occupancy, which trust me, they're, they exist, they're out there. <laughs> oh um, yeah. They could be gold mines if, if they're in the right markets or they could be, you know, the biggest black eye ever. And I would never touch them just depending on the market. Right. So that when you bought that was at 10% occupancy yeah. and you were underwriting it, I'm assuming you're underwriting it with the NOI at the 10% occupancy. Yeah. I mean, we gave them some, we gave them some room there because you know, when, when an NOI essentially doesn't exist or is at zero, you could use any cap rate and there's, there's right. nothing there, but you kind of go to a, refer to a per square foot model of how much per square foot should be paid for this. But, um, you know, you just have to know you're going into those things and build operating reserves and, uh, you know, expect to lose some money and expect to spend a lot of money on your, on your advertising budget. You know what I mean? Right, right. Just to get out there and get that occupancy rate yeah. higher. For you, what what does day to day look like for you? Are you doing asset management? Are you over like what are you doing every day? Yeah, so I mean that's a great question. I try to stay out. I mean, I am if you've ever uh, read Rocket Fuel by Gina Wickman, it's a great book. It talks about the uh, the entrepreneur's journey and essentially how if you're an entrepreneur and you you became an entrepreneur on your own there's a good chance that you're what we call a visionary, which is somebody who loves to build relationships, loves to think big, loves to, uh, you know, close big deals, loves to always be doing big things and hopping around from thing to thing. But our detriment is that we hate the details. Uh, we're probably a little bit unorganized and, you know, we, uh, you know, it's just like not our favorite thing to do to sit down and write leases and inspection move-ins and all these things. So as right. much as possible, I try to remove myself from asset management and now, especially more so that we have that systemized, but you know, you always have some fires to put out in one shape or form or another. Um, so whenever that comes up, handle stuff like that. And then, you know, acting as developer on this project that requires a lot meeting with contractors, you know, getting permits done, design, stuff like that. And then, you know, hey, being an author is, is kind of a full-time job getting that out there. I mean, I think the message in my book is um, extremely powerful. So I try to impact as many people as possible. I spent the time to sit down and do it. Now I try to cut out some time each day to get out there and promote the book however I can, whether it's messaging people in certain groups who may be interested in it or interviews like this and trying to spread the word about it. Um, and other than that, you know, just like trying to stay in touch with investors, meet new people, learn new things. So, right. you know, I don't, I don't have a typical day, you know, I don't, I don't really have any routine where I do the same thing every single day. It's kind of just like what's going on at that time. Right. Of course. And so let's talk about uh, lending on these properties a little bit. Do you see anything when you're getting financing on these properties, these self-storage sure. uh, facilities, do you see anything different with them from multifamily? Does the bank ask for different things or do the terms change a little bit? Or would you say because it's really a, a cash flowing asset, just like an apartment building, they, they stay pretty in line? A lot of the fundamentals are exactly the same. I'd say you're going to get better terms on multifamily just because I think that lenders are more incentivized to lend on housing than they are storage. Um, 
So storage, you're going to be hard pressed to get any amortization schedules over 20 years or as multifamily, oh, wow. you're looking at, at, you know, 25, 30, 35 in some cases. So, um, yeah, in that, in that terms, it's different. I think you're going to pay a little bit higher interest in the storage world. Um, last, last I got quoted was at four, seven, five on storage. Um, uh, I think you could probably do better than that multifamily right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, LTVs are similar. I think that storage has some benefits in and of itself because uh, storage facilities actually qualify for SBA loans, whereas I don't think apartment complexes do. And so we've gotten up to 90% LTV on two different uh, storage complexes now. So if you can get into a deal with 10% down, it's, it's powerful. Oh, well, yeah, that is really nice, especially if you're utilizing the SBA loan. Yeah. Now, the, the lenders you're using for these properties, is it... Mm -hmm do you have a relationship with like one, two or three different lenders or are you using local lenders to these markets you're going to? How does that look? Yeah. So when we first got started, you know, a lot of local lenders and then trying to find more lenders that are one local, but two also kind of regional. So banks like uh, we have a good relationship with BB&T. Uh, so they do a lot of our projects and then trying to find other banks where you can build relationships with loan officers who are there with you and they're more likely to, uh, you know, if you have a one-to-one -one relationship and they're in the region, then they're more likely to, to service your loan and help you through that origination process. If you have a relationship with them more so than like if they didn't. So I like to use local banks. I mean, I'm not going to go to, to Wells or, you know, BOA anytime soon. And I like, I like that relationship and local banks normally you'll, you know, have a little bit of an easier approval process, be willing to work with you a little more. And, uh, right. you know, that's, what's important. I hate, I hate the big, big banks and all their, you know, rules and regulations. Oh and yeah. It drives me nuts. Yeah, we use local lenders as well. You, you get that more face-to-face -face connection. You can actually meet with someone, and typically yeah. their terms can be a little bit better. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. I, I love how we, you know we got to talk about the book a little bit. I I'm really encourage people to go pick that up, and I'm glad we got to touch on self-storage a little bit because, I mean, obviously, this, this is just the top of it. There's so much more to it. Yeah, um, hey, We're going to go into a section called The Curious Cues, so I'm going to fire some questions at you, and you just okay. answer them. Uh, first question is favorite podcast. Uh, was MF CEO project, but now it's called real AF. Oh uh, yeah. Now what do they talk about on that? So uh, Andy Frisella is the, one of the owners of first form and it's just a general uh, self-help business development project. Um, the MF CEO project was entrepreneurship A to Z talking about how to build teams, run businesses. It came from a guy who essentially came from nothing. And now he's, I think he has seven companies doing, you know, hundreds of millions a year. Uh, but he's a real down to earth guy. So I really like that. It's, it's a vulgar podcast, but he gets his point across <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but he felt like he had given all of his business lessons and he felt like he didn't want to hear himself talk anymore just to talk. So he uh, transitioned his listenership to what they call real AF, which is trying to tackle social issues in our country. Um, so oh, wow. if anyone's worried about social issues in our country right now, uh, we have plenty of those. And I think real AF is a great place to go listen and kind of get an unbiased opinion of, you know, what one person sees. At least. Yeah, that's very cool. Okay. Uh, favorite book you like reading? My own. Okay. All right. That, <laughs> just, that's some good self-promotion right there. No, it really is. Like I said, it's a phenomenal book. So I would definitely, you know, have people check that out. No, I, my, I mean, my favorite book I've ever read is Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Quadrants. Yeah, that's cool. Good. It's like part two of Rich Dad Poor Dad. I essentially, see it as. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Okay. Uh, biggest hurdle you'd have to overcome in real estate? 
Currently or in the beginning? Uh, either or. Whatever you feel like was the larger one. <laughs> uh, t- today, I mean, real estate prices are ridiculous, you know? Yeah. They're especially, and like you mentioned too earlier, everyone everyone is interested in self-storage. And when, when capital is you know, interested in a space, it starts to attract the big players and you like, you have a hard time beating those guys unless right. you have, I'm sure you have to compete with some REITs every once in a while on some of these projects. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no doubt, man. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's just, once they see where the actual money is, that's where they move in. So you know, what's the I mean, investments. <laughs> when you're competing with somebody who has a life insurance co- company and their cost of capital, you know, they're only trying to yield like three to 5% a year. It's like, you know, and as a private investor, no one's going to go for a three to 5% yield. You know what I mean? Right. So, so they'll beat you every guys. time on that because they, yeah, they're I mean, buying for much less returns. If a broker gets their hands on it, then what are they going to want to do? They're going to take it to the easy guy with tons of cash on wall street and earn a bigger commission. So you really got to find ways to beat those guys. And that's true for multifamily or storage or whatever good assets out there. Right. And then that's why it's so important that you're doing things like direct marketing. So you can get to the seller off market, you know, shush, shush kind of thing. And do yep. what you gotta do to close it. Absolutely. Uh, favorite part of investing? Cash flow. Cash flow. Yeah, it's uh, that good feeling. Uh, favorite non real estate. First of the month hobby. feeling, right? Oh, the first of the month feeling. Heck yeah! Uh, <laughs> favorite non real estate related hobby. Um, that's a good one. I mean, I love the outdoors, so maybe hiking. Hiking is okay. pretty fun. Yeah, I know people like always ask that question. It's like, oh, real estate. It's like, oh no, you can't say real estate. Oh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and newbie advice. I mean, what would you give to someone that's looking to get started or looking to their startup, but they're just looking to scale? Dude, raw, honest truth right here. You have to take action without knowing what's going to happen. If you're afraid yeah. to fail in any way, shape, or form, you'll never get there. I cannot tell you the amount of times I try. I'm still failing to this day. You know what I mean? And if I'm not failing, then I feel like I'm not moving forward and failures suck. Like they hurt, you know what I mean? Especially (laughs) when money's on the line. But the truth is, is that's going to be the most powerful lessons for you. So I give it, I give the advice that, um, you know, have the, have the end of the goal in mind that you want to go big, but start on a single family house. I think the best education in your life, if you make no money or even lose money, just go out and buy a house and try to do it. You know what I mean? Cause you're going to learn so much from that experience. You can't learn it from my book. You can't learn it from anything. Yep. Just going out there and doing it, seeing it firsthand, seeing how it works, watching the full process. That's what you got to do. You just got to go out there and do it, man. Yeah, you'll never learn how to swim unless you jump in the water. Yeah, that's what I. I mean, say. try to make it profitable, but you yeah. Know. Oh yeah, try try <laughs> all means. Like make money. Hayden, I'll tell you this story, and people listening, they they've heard it a million times. You know, when I was first getting started a while back, I was just you know analysis and analysis process, like analyzing properties, never get anything out of it. And uh, this one day, I was driving this duplex, and I was like, if you don't buy this, you're never gonna get started because it all starts with that one. Walk mm-hmm. through the first unit, walk through the second unit. I was like, all right, I'll buy it. Didn't look at the basement, didn't look at the attic, you know, didn't do it before. I was like, it was one of those things where it was just like, you need to make it happen or else it's never going to start. Yeah. And uh, luckily, the cash flow is like $900 a month. It works out really nice. well, no issues. But because of that, I was able to get started and I was like, I want the next one. It makes you hungry. And I'm sure you know that once you knock down a deal. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. That's awesome, dude. That's a great story. And I think that the, the, the terrible story, actually. Basement, <laughs> not checking out anything, you know. I mean, that goes back to like the first self-storage unit is like, Dude, we didn't check rent rolls. We had no idea how much a gate system was going to cost. We had, 
you know, no idea that doors needed to be replaced and they broke every 15 years and it happened to be 15 years. We're going to have to replace a bunch of doors. You know what? Like you don't know those things. Well, you learned. It's the only way, man. It's the only way. You'll never learn this stuff in a book. You can read every real estate book out there, but until you experience that hardship of a tenant not paying or a hot water tank going in the middle of the night, something like that, you'll never learn it until you. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try to educate yourself and avoid those. But the truth is, if you're waiting to know everything, you can't happen. So my advice to to myself, and I mean, I feel like I jumped in pretty fast. That's just the kind of person I am. But um, you know, a lot of people like I get a lot of messages on Instagram or Facebook. People have read my book. What's the next thing? It's like go out and do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, do it. I mean, yeah. I mean, look at yourself, for example. You're young. You haven't been doing it for a crazy amount of time, but you've learned so much, and that's super yeah. impressive. So, um, guys, seriously, go pick up Skip the Flip by Hayden Crabtree. Go buy it on Amazon. It's $10. It's not that much money. Yeah. Go buy it. The amount of money you'll make by learning what you learn in this book will multiply that $10 by 100%. Um, I get Hayden, at least that. At least, yeah. 100 times, I should say, not 100%. Um, Hayden, where can, uh, people find out more about you? Where can they talk to you a little bit as well? Man. So I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, Instagram is just at Hayden Crabtree. DM me. Let me know you listen to this podcast and, uh, maybe I'll send you the audio copy of the, the book for free. If you come over and message me there. Um, but you know, I hang out, I hang out on social. I'm a young guy, so I'm on Instagram and, and I got a website too, HaydenCrabtree.com if you want to learn more about my projects or anything like that. So Hit me up. Love to meet you guys. Awesome. Hayden, thank you so much for your time this evening. I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.